One brief point here, which always sticks out in my mind when we're talking about the gentleness of Jesus. In verse 15 of Matthew 12, um, after he had healed on the Sabbath, the Pharisees go out and try to plot and destroy him. And in verse 15 it says, When Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust." I think that's just an awesome example where we see prophesied the nature of Jesus' ministry. Did Jesus go around proclaiming with a trumpet to all and sundry, Hey, I am the Messiah. You must listen to me. No, he didn't. He was a very unassuming man, I think we would say. Someone who uh, indeed was gentle. And, you know, verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20 deal with that. Verses 19 and 20 deal with that very well. The thought that he's not going to quarrel, he's not going to cry out. His voice isn't even going to be heard in the streets. He's not going to be yelling about these things. And, you know, I, I, I can't help but think sometimes about what we think of as, you know, street preachers that are out there. I have no problems with the idea of street preaching and things like that. But you kind of have to ask, is that a gentle way to reach people? You know, I watched a video once where a guy had set up to street preach by a line outside of a DMV. And I'll tell you, I mean, I understand from the standpoint of saying, okay, i got to go out there and spread the word, but I'm just not sure that's the time or place. <laughs> Especially when you got people you know, waiting to get their driver license stuff done. It's not the best time to try to reach somebody. I'll just tell you that right now. I, I just don't know. But you, know, you think about the visuals in verse 20. A bruised reed. You know, a reed on the side of a bank or something. A bruised reed. Is gonna, how, how much pressure is it going to take to just break that? I mean, you can just snap it apart, you know, maybe even by looking at it. Uh, smoking flax, what are we talking about there? When you blow out a candle and you've got just the last bit of that wick just standing up there, all you have to do is breathe on it for it to just evaporate. That's something for us to think about when we think about gentleness. It's just that how far should we be willing to go to be gentle? Now we know that Jesus didn't let sin kind of slink by or didn't didn't you know we know that Jesus didn't have a sense that he wasn't going to deal with sin, okay? And yet, even in those times, I think one of the things that we're going to see uh uh this morning in uh chapter 15, if you turn over there, is that his gentleness is there. Does anybody have any comments or questions about that? I think it's an important thing for us to consider because uh, we want to make sure you know, as Andrew said, we want to be a gentle people. The temptation sometimes is for us to kind of say, listen, we're the one true church. We've got it figured out. And you tell you, just, just listen to us and you'll be okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we need to be careful about the way we even phrase those things because just saying, li just listen to us, you know. And I, I know people aren't saying that. I know that's not, you know, exactly, uh, that, that's not a literal criticism. But we know the temptation is there. We know the possibility is there. And so let's be a gentle people. I want to look at a specific uh, situation that we find in Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, and we're looking at uh, verse 21, 
I want to talk about some of the ways that pride gets in the way of us being who we ought to be. Um, not just in the way of gentleness, but in every way, ultimately. Uh, gentleness, humility, uh, it's all kind of tied together. And uh, just think about this particular passage. Um, we look at Matthew 15 and verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. There are a few things that I want to kind of pull from this passage that help us to appreciate some things about what pride keeps us from. Uh, Pride limits us. And even though the world wants us to think that pride is going to vaunt ourselves up, we've got to have pride in what we do. We've got to take pride in our family. We've got family pride, you know. And, and there is the sense, of course, that pride can be a positive thing when you think about it. But at the same time, we've got to take a step back and understand some things. And I think if we can look at what Jesus does here, uh, could we see that what Jesus does here, I, I suppose it's gentle in a sense, but... If we look at what he says, I think maybe we see that there may be some sense where we might not feel it's uh, extremely gentle. But I think we see overall that this woman is so uh, appreciative of his help, she wants his help so badly, that she knows she has nowhere else to turn. First thing I'd like for us to consider is that pride will keep us from seeking Jesus and seeing Jesus. Seeking and seeing Jesus. First of all, we recognize she asked him for mercy in verse 22. Have mercy on me. And let's recognize, we know if we want healing, we have to seek God. God is the only one that can heal us. If we want to be healed, if we want help, God's the only one we're going to find. Psalm 10, verse 4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And so someone who is proud, who thinks they can get it done all by themselves, if we think we can get, take care of our problems without God's help, then we're, we're not going to be seeking God. We're not going to be looking for his help. In our core, we have to still know that the only one to protect and help us is Jesus. Are there times where we need to seek outside help? I mean, if, 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 uh, if we had a child who uh, obviously we don't have demon possession in this way, but if we had a child who was suffering from seizures and things like that, would we not take that child to the doctor? Absolutely we would. We would try to get that child some help. And we seek that outside help, but at the core, let's recognize we still need to know that the only one to protect and help us ultimately is Jesus. In family crisis, the world might say, uh, don't pray to God, just suffer through it. Just, just push through it and you'll be okay. The world might say, well, you're having problems at, at work. Well, don't listen to God. Fix it in worldly ways. Hurt them back in the way that they've hurt you. Worst of this, of course, is when we uh, deny that we need help at all. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. 
Well, let's recognize not only does this woman uh, ask for him for mercy, she recognizes who he is. She calls him son of David. And so she said, hey, son of David, have mercy on me. We need to see Jesus as he is, not as who we want him to be. And that's really important. Um, if, if we try to look at Jesus as someone who is just going to uh, be okay with what we're doing, uh, going to you know, have a, have a, a basic, uh, you know, surely Jesus is not going to have a problem with this, surely Jesus is not going to have a problem with that, we need to take another look at things. Look at Matthew 22. Uh, keep a marker in chapter 15. Matthew 22 and verse 41. Matthew 22 and verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. Here is Jesus challenging the Pharisees on this point. And it's interesting to me, they have the same answer as this Gentile woman. And yet this Gentile woman sees who Jesus is, I believe, better than these Jews could see. Why is that? I think a big part of it is that they had blinded themselves to the truth. You see, when we, when we don't accept who Jesus is, when we don't accept where help truly is, when we don't accept what is truly good for us, then we're not really seeing Jesus as he truly is. Consider all of his powerful ways. We need to constantly remind ourselves who Jesus truly is. Not only does pride keep us from seeking and seeing Jesus, pride keeps us from admitting problems. How easy is it for us to put on a smile, shake someone's hand, when asked, how are you doing? Say, I'm doing fine, you know. And that's okay. You know, we don't have to constantly be, you know, pouring things out to each other all the time. But when we're suffering, we need to know that we need to seek help. We need to be honest with each other, and especially honest with ourselves about our shortcomings. And sometimes we internalize our problems until they eat us alive. This woman, back in chapter 15, she, she knew her problem. You know, have mercy on me, verse 22, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. She knew she couldn't take care of this just on her own or by herself. And we know there's a time for us to examine and contemplate for ourselves. You know, is this something that, maybe this is just something that I need to work on on my own, you know? Even within the marriage relationship, there may be times where I recognize I've got this problem. And, and you know, maybe there's a time where you say, okay, I'm going to work on this alone because if I, maybe there's a sense where I may be dumping too much on the other person. It just depends, right? But at the end of the day, when we know it's a problem, when we know it's something that's not fixing, that's not, not being fixed on our own, we need to remember that there are others that want to help us. We are part of a great spiritual family. Do we recognize the power of that? Do we recognize how awesome it is that, let me tell you, you can go to just about any place in this country or even in this world. If there are brethren there, nine times out of ten, these are people who will be willing to open up their home for you, 
Sharon and I have stayed at someone's apartment once or townhouse, and we never even met him. <laughs> I think we may have met him like another trip down there. But like that, that they were opening up their home to complete strangers, but they knew they were Christians. See, you're part of a great spiritual family. Second Corinthians six eleven through thirteen. We won't turn there, but you know, I think what we've pulled from that is God does not want us to be walled off from our brothers and sisters. Paul is saying, listen, Corinthians, we're not restrained from you. We're not pulling our hearts away from you. We're not being distant from you, but you're restrained in your own hearts. You're being distant from us is basically the big criticism that's going on here. If there is perceived distance between you and your fellow Christians, be willing to ask yourself, why? Why is this distance here? Am I asking for something? Am I asking for God to take away this burden? Am I asking God to take away this trouble without talking to anybody else about it? Are we continually dealing with something, maybe a habitual sin that we keep falling into? And our mindset just keeps saying, well, God can help me through this. God can put me through. I don't have to talk to anybody else about it. I can keep it private. Let me tell you, Christian, that's a losing proposition. If it stops quickly, then yeah, get it worked out. That's fine. But we know what happens from time to time. We know these things can keep on. James chapter 4, he talks there in verses 1 through 3 about the fact that they were asking about asking for things just for their desires, for what they wanted. And they weren't asking it truly to their benefit. This woman is asking to her benefit. She, she knows that she needs to seek help and she's willing to seek it. She knows that Jesus can help. In uh, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus says, They're asking it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I love that phrase, by the way. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? It's a concept where we are praying to God to help us through these issues, help us through these troubles, and yet at the same time, we have the humility to know that He can help us. You know, when we're proud and we're puffed up and we think we can fix ourselves, we ally ourselves with other people who are prideful as well. In the end, we get to the point where we don't think that we need God, and we don't think that we need our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we figure that we can take care of it on our own. Psalm 40 in verse 4, however, says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Proverbs 15 in verse 25 says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Do you want to be strong? You want to be the one? You want to be the guy? That everybody looks to, you need to be humble. And you need to know that the proud of this world, they're going to be destroyed if they don't turn from that way, of course. But what who does God establish? God establishes those who are weak, those who know they need help, and turn to Him with that help. It, it may not even be something where maybe we're not willing to 
uh, turn to our brothers and sisters, but maybe we're not even willing to turn to God with this help. Maybe we feel like, well, God's not going to listen to me. He's got so much to deal with. (laughs) No, our God is powerful, and we need to trust in Him. So we need to admit when we're hurting. We need to admit when we're having these problems. Again, we're not saying that we have to pour everything out to everybody everywhere, right? But we are saying that if we're suffering with something, we need to be willing to reach out to our brothers and sisters, and especially at the end of the day, we need to be reaching out to God with this. Pride also keeps us from being persistent. Isn't it interesting that when you see in verse 23, the disciples are saying, hey, send her away for she cries out after us? There's almost a sense here where the disciples are just kind of saying, look, can you just kind of take care of her? (laughs) Can you just give her what she wants and then just kind of tell her to go? You know? But Jesus establishes something in verse 24. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His priority is for, is for his people. And it's a spiritual priority. But yet this woman keeps on going. And I think we can think about the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18, 1 through 8. This woman, she comes to him, uh, plead my case, give me justice. And the judge, what does he... Who does he not fear? He doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. Okay? The interesting thing about that passage is there's two lessons there. Number one is the persistence, of course, of this woman. Her persistence pushes her through. And the point that Jesus is making in that passage is that, listen, you be persistent with God. You ask for God. You ask God for something that you know that you need. You know that you need. You keep asking it. You keep asking. Because God's going to help you. God's going to be there for you. Okay. The second lesson of that passage is, you know, even a proud person can do the right thing. How many times in the Old Testament and New Testament do we have God telling His people, you bring justice for the widow. You help the fatherless. You do the right thing. Justice does the right thing. The, the, the judge there in that passage does the right thing, but is it to his benefit? I'd say no. Why? Because he doesn't fear God and he doesn't regard man. He's a proud man. There's a sense where we have to recognize that in our persistence, we have to be giving to God. And so she worships him. Uh, There are going to be times, of course, where we feel like God isn't saying anything to us. And yet she keeps asking. She keeps wanting his attention. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and they don't say anything to you? And it becomes pretty clear that they're actively ignoring you? (laughs) That can be hurtful, right? It can be hurtful when you're trying to reach out to somebody And uh, Jesus' actions could have been misunderstood by this woman, but she's more humble than that, obviously. We need to remember God's promises and know that he expects us to be persistent. But as I was saying, in terms of her worshiping him, this time of adoration and true worship here is an act of humility. In Psalm 10, 17, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear. That's a, that's a statement that has assurance written all over it. God is going to listen. You think about the things that we give up to worship God. When, when we're properly humble, when we know who's important in life, 
We give up multiple things. You think about this, what we've given up to be here together this morning. We've given up our time. In some cases, we've given up our money. I would say even if you didn't give this morning, you gave in terms of your money, in terms of your time here, the investment of the fuel to take your vehicle here, okay? You gave that up. Uh, the effort of getting up and getting ready and coming here, the focus... Hopefully, we're sacrificing our focus on worldly things and spending it in focus to God. And you know what? We may even have to give up friendships in terms of serving and worshiping God. And so we give up all these things. But let's understand that just because we give up these things doesn't make us super great or something like that. And this woman doesn't think that. I think we'll see that in just a moment. But, you know... Even there, there's even the sense where we are seeking God and we are worshiping God to get something for ourselves, right? It's not selfishness, it's self-interest. Where we see, for example, in Romans 2.7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. You see, Christians are seeking glory, honor, and immortality. And the thing that keeps that from being prideful is that this is the glory, honor, and immortality that comes from God. This is not the glory, honor, uh, and the world can't even give immortality, but this is not that stuff of the world. And so let's ask ourselves, are we doing it for God's glory, for our glory, or God's glory? Psalm 18, 27, you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. Let's also appreciate that pride keeps us from receiving blessings. Think about what this woman is called. In verse 26 of Matthew 15, Jesus says, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. This is a parable, of course, that he's using to teach this lesson, right? But, uh, you know, those of you who have a dog, we've got a dog at home. I'll tell you, you know, she may get some scraps from time to time, but I'm not about to take the food I'm about to give Jericho and just put it down there and let her slop it all up, okay? It's not, doesn't make sense. It would be stupid for me to do that, okay? And so let's appreciate that Jesus is saying something that's right, but let's just ask the question, in our PC culture today, what would our PC culture today think about what Jesus is saying here? He's calling this woman a little dog. I don't know about you, I don't like the thought of being called a dog. Mark chapter 7 records that she's a Syrophoenician by birth. She's not a Jew, of course. But Jesus has not only placed greater emphasis upon his people, he has by parable grounded her nation and people entirely and said, listen, you people are little dogs, okay? I've got to make a priority for my people right now, okay? Let's understand that if we were to switch this woman with most anyone out in the world living today, it might be that at this point she would just give up. Say, you know what? You call me that, I'm going to go somewhere else. There's plenty of other places that we can go other than Jesus, right? We can go out in the world and we can try to find fulfillment in social clubs. We can try to find fulfillment in false religions. But... uh, Let's understand that some would even turn hostile against him. And we often get, you know, we recognize there's a lot of people getting offended today over what we might see as small things. And it seems to occur more and more every day. But if we trust in God, it's going to take a lot to truly offend us. Let's understand that. 
You see, there's a part of pride that we may not talk about very much. It's easy for us to tear down the guy that says, I've got it all figured out. No, you, you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. It's easy for us to tear down a guy like that. Okay? It's easy for us to tear down the guy in Luke 18 who doesn't fear God and doesn't regard man. That's easy. But we need to be willing to see and understand that when someone plays the victim, they're being just as prideful. How dare they say that about me? How dare they say that about this family? How dare they do this? How dare they do that? Do we want to think so much of ourselves that we're going to be offended every little thing? Proverbs 28:25. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Pride keeps us from seeing the truth about a situation and we allow little things to... Uh, allow us to, to miss out on blessings. If this woman had left right now, would her daughter be any better off? I don't believe so. She does not take offense. And how awesome an example is that? Psalm 138 and verse 6, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. There is a great distance between those who lift themselves up and vault themselves up. I don't care if you're doing it intentionally, or you're doing it unintentionally. Because again, I think some people can unintentionally do that. When, when someone is trying to help them and trying to help them see the truth of the Scripture, they say, how dare you try to judge me? How dare you try to correct me? That's pride, okay? That's not gentleness. Gentleness goes both ways. We have to be gentle in the way that we correct. And we have to be gentle in the way that we take correction. And be willing to say, listen, okay, yeah. Yeah, maybe that's something I really need to think about. And you know what you do at that point? You think about it, and you, you, you uh, put it in perspective of your life. If it's not true, then understand that and go on. But maybe there's something about it that is true, and you realize there's something you need to work on. Hey, it's going to bring us together in this. This woman, I think, is closer to the Lord in this moment than those Pharisees were that we looked at just a few minutes ago. Proverbs 29 and verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. You see, the interesting thing is <laughs> if you hold on to your pride and relive your offenses, your offenses are going to become bigger and bigger and bigger. And there are some people who will treat their offenses as their best friends that they can't get along without. They will hold on to grudges for years and years and years. And let me say this clearly. If you are doing this, you are paying the highest price. While the one who offended you may have moved on entirely and has completely forgotten about what happened. What a sad situation that is when that happens. If you find yourself offended, ask yourself, are you offended by wickedness? Or are you offended by someone calling out the truth? You know, gentleness doesn't really care about how it's being treated. Jesus didn't care about the jeers and the, the, the ridicules and the mockings that was coming up at him. He didn't pay that any mind. He was who he was, was going to be. He wasn't going to let that affect the way he treated others. And so he was able to retain honor among those who were prideful and mocking him. How awesome is that? 
This is absolutely true. If I vault myself up and make myself think that I'm the top, guess what? I got nowhere to go but down. Jesus says about the hypocrites in Matthew 6, they have their reward, meaning they have their reward right now, and they can't expect any other reward. Proverbs 16:18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I know most of us have heard that uh, passage before. And so she has a humble and gentle response to this. Yes, Lord, I understand what you're saying. But I still, I still believe that I could get something. <laughs> this is a woman who is, I think the word we could use is penitent. And she receives a blessing for it. And how did that happen? Well, this lack of offense proves that this woman has great faith. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Great is your faith. He appreciates that about her. And he emphasizes this in that her daughter was healed from that very hour. You know, God often emphasizes the faith of Gentiles in Scripture. Just to briefly go through these, you think about Naaman. Naaman in 2 Kings 5.15, because of the fact, here's a proud man, right? He was waiting for Elisha to come out and and wave his hand over the place and, and fix the leprosy and everything would be okay. Yet he's humbled. He's got to go wash in the, the Jordan River. But afterward, when he's healed, in 2 Kings 5.15, he says, He returned to the man of God and all his aides and came and stood before me. He said, Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. In Luke 7 and verse 9, when the centurion is saying to Jesus, You know, you don't have to come to my house to heal my servant. You know, you can do this. You can do this because I have men that I can order with authority. You can do the same thing. And it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In Acts 10 and verse 4, Cornelius, uh, when he saw the angel, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God recognized the penitent qualities of what Cornelius was trying to do, even in ignorance, even, even in the state where he was. Now, he still needed some more. We recognize that. But in Hebrews 11:31, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but she had received the spies with peace. All of these people were Gentiles. They weren't children of God at the time that they lived. Why did God honor all these people? Well, I think part of it is because for, for Gentiles, they were the exception to the rule. What were the most, most of the Gentiles in this time? Completely lost, ignorant of the scriptures, not caring about right or wrong. Now we know that, that later on they were a law to themselves in some ways. And so God was responsible for the judgment of these people. But these, these uh, uh, statements where they're agreeing and appreciating the God, the true God, they were the exception to the rule. When we think about true humility, true gentleness, we need to see its relation to holiness. It is in many ways separate. It is the exception. If you're going to be gentle in your life, expect to be the odd person out. If you're going to be truly humble in your life, don't expect to fit in everywhere. In fact, most places you're not going to fit in. Most people are going to be puffed up with pride, but the humble are going to be small in number. But... God makes the humble strong. Second Corinthians 12, 9, uh, when Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh, 
says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Learn gentleness, learn meekness, learn humility, and you can be the exception, not the rule, just as this faithful woman was. And of course, it leads to her daughter's healing. Let's understand in verse 28, great is your faith. There's no healing without faith. If I don't have trust in God, then it's not really going to help me. If this woman had not been humble, her daughter would never have been healed. Proverbs 18:12, for destruction the heart of a man is haughty and before honor is humility. Psalm 149:4, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he will beautify the humble with salvation. So let's think about this. What is pride what is pride keeping me from? How am I manifesting pride in my daily life? Because I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, there are ways that we can look and see how that is going about. Let's look at this from as many possible angles as as we can so that we can learn from it and be the people God wants us to be. Well, there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion this morning, but I certainly want to encourage you, if there are any comments or questions at this point, we certainly want to discuss this as much as we can. Anything at all? Okay. Well, I appreciate so much your attention. I appreciate this time. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer.